I did something really scary and I fired the agent (laughs) and walked away from a deal with Penguin. This is Heart of the Story and I'm Nadine Kenny Johnstone. I'm a writer and a writing coach who helps women develop and publish their memoirs and essays. But most importantly, I'm a human who's always trying to figure out what my soul is saying. Each week, I'll share stories and tips of healing, hope, and following my heart so that you'll feel inspired to follow yours. Hi, friends. Today, you are in for a treat because we have motivational speaker, retreat leader, self-care queen, (laughs) Renee Trudeau on the show. And she is going to talk with us about her own journey, about what it's like to lead women's circles and women's retreats, and about her own journey with sharing moments of healing, hope, and following her own heart. So Renee, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. I'm so glad to be with you. Have this time for tea together. I love it. (laughs) So to fill listeners in, I took your retreat a couple of months ago in California in the beautiful Redwoods at 1440 Multiversity. And it was the third time I had been there, but the first time I had ever taken one of your retreats. And what struck me so much is about how much growth and healing and self-care happened just in a span of three days. And it wasn't only for me, I witnessed it and all of the women that you led. And it was a large group, almost 50 of us women. And I was so curious to know, because it was such a healing weekend, I wanted to know a bit more about your own journey of how you even learned these techniques and how you came to lead women's retreats. So can you walk us through a bit how you even went on your own self-care journey and then ended up sharing those tips and tools with other women? Yes. Oh, gosh such a long journey. (laughs) Um, I'm the oldest of seven children. I was raised in a family of scientists and artists and yogis. I'm a self-proclaimed little type A overachiever. And professionally, Nadine, I took an interesting route. I have a background in organizational leadership development and coaching. So I'm real comfortable going into big companies and doing that work. But then I was raised by yogis and artists, so there would be chaos in our household, and my parents would pull us into this huge meditation room that we had. Like right when you walked in the front door of our 1970s ranch-style home, we had this huge meditation room, and we had a 14th century creche um, scene, life-size creche scene, if you can imagine that. Mm-hmm. And then we had little visual images and idols of Hindu deities and the Virgin Mary with rosary beads and we had mala beads. I was raised in an interfaith home and there was a big focus on how we could feel the divine. There was an invitation. How can you feel the divine? How can you feel God? That's what my parents were really interested in. So they would drag us in there and they would sit and meditate. And I was the oldest. So you can imagine I'm like rolling my eyes, like, (laughs) oh my gosh, my parents are such freaks. And there's little babies, Peterson babies crawling all over them, you know, while we're meditating in this space. So that had an enormous impact on who I am. You know, at one point they left a very conventional life where my father was a physician. He had a large practice. We were all in these 
Montessori schools in uh, San Antonio, Texas, and they moved us to the Sierra Nevada mountains. So we lived on a yoga commune in Northern California and rode horses bareback to school and read the Bhagavad Gita and wrote poetry. And so the other side of who I am is I um, am am trained also in, in yoga and meditation and mindfulness and did kirtan from the time I was about seven years old. So really interesting. And as I watched kind of my career unfold, you know, I really moved into the area of balance, teaching people how to come into balance through the art and science of self-care. So it was beautiful, of course, right? Our backgrounds always prepare us for whatever the soul work is that we're here to do. But everything about my background was this coming into balance, you know, so I'm really comfortable going into a corporate boardroom and working with the C-suite. And then I'm really comfortable taking people out onto the cliffs at Esalen in California and chanting under the full moon, you know? So that's, that's a little bit about kind of who I am. Um. (laughs) I love it. And at these retreats, like the ones you lead at Esalen and then 1440 and all over, one of the things that I had never done before that we did at your retreat was the group singing Mm -hmm. and it was so impactful. And I have, I am not a singer. I, (laughs) that is not my background, but regardless of singing ability, it was so transformative. And I wonder now that we know a bit more about yoga and meditation as background, but where did the singing element come into your practice? Yeah. So, um, and I'll just contextualize it a little bit because I'm such a big picture girl. I knew going into that retreat. So the retreat that we did, my primary job, I didn't bring a single note in. I literally threw out all the notes. I had no schedule for us because I knew that coming on the other side of the pandemic, even though we're still in it, the most important thing was going to be to calm everyone's nervous system. I knew Mm -hmm. that that was just critical. Like we weren't going to be able to do anything together unless people felt safe and their nervous systems were calm. And how we do that in large part is through movement. So moving Mm -hmm. our bodies, singing, meditation, breath work, being in nature, really those key four or five elements, which we did a lot of, right? I mean, we did a lot of that to really get people in this safe place because I taught facilitators for gosh, 15 years, kind of how to facilitate groups and retreats. And there's an art and science to it, as you know. So it's really this form and flow, form and flow. You have to create a container where people feel safe, but then you want to have this space for flow that feels really good that we don't ever feel rushed. You know, we feel like we're in this flow. So I knew that going in, that it was going to be really important. What happened, interestingly, I'm with you. I don't identify as a singer as well. I I love to sing, but I didn't, don't sing professionally or was not trained in, in vocals or anything. But living in Austin, Texas, which is where I'm from, right after the, I guess it was the 2016 election, many people were in kind of this wordless space you know, kind of a wordless space. And there was a lot of division and a lot of trauma. And I attended this community circle in Austin called Finding Our Voice. And we would go to the Austin Capitol. We would go downtown to Austin, which is the 10th largest city in the U.S. It is like hyper busy, hyper creative, hyper buzzy. And we would gather in the Capitol Rotunda, which went up like 350 feet straight up this huge, gorgeous space. 
and marble floors. And I mean, it's old, it's, you know, it's the capital of Texas in Austin, Texas. And there would be about 50 of us and we would circle up and we were guided by this wonderful young man named Josh Blaine, who began to lead us in community song circles. And I got really curious about this because what I noticed, Nadine, is we would go in there and we were all colors, all identities, genders, orientations, different walks of life from 18, age 18 to 83. And there's so much that we wanted to say to each other. And there's so many ways that we wanted to connect, but there were no words. But when we sang, we felt this like profound connection. It almost makes me cry just to think about it. It was Mm -hmm. so profound. Mm -hmm. And what I learned in studying kind of the science of song, there are parts of the brain that light up and connect that only happen when we sing. Also happens when we do kirtan or we do chanting, which is, that's a very powerful practice as well. So I began to get really curious about this. I ended up going and getting trained from a woman named Lisa Littlebird, who is uh, lives out near Esalen in California. And I opened up and kind of stepped into this whole global world of community singing. Mm. So we sing to feel good. We don't sing to sound good. It's actually very neuroscience based. There's all these things that happen. The type that I, a tradition that I'm taught in is a call and response. So it's an oral tradition. And as you experienced it, it's so powerful, right? It is so so powerful. It's so powerful. And I think there were a few parts that a few reasons why it was powerful. One, it's like everyone has to kind of drop their inhibitions because we're singing in front of each other. Two, we have to really pay attention to the words because we're doing call and response for these songs that aren't familiar songs usually. So you're getting into the words, you're letting your guard down and then hearing the harmony of a room full of women together is so powerful. It felt sacred. Yeah. And now I lead, I started, it's funny during the pandemic, a lot of, so I speak for a living around the globe on work-life balance and companies at conferences. And that was, I was grounded. I've been grounded for still grounded really in large part for two years. So I started this fun thing in, in where I live in the Blue Ridge mountains in North Carolina now called wild souls, nature adventures. And so one of the things that we do is every full moon, we go down to the French broad river, which is the second oldest river in the world. And we sing. So I circle people up and we sing these songs. We're getting ready to do it again on the full moon. So people can go find out about it. I think it's sing worldwide. I could send you a link. I think it's sing worldwide where they can look up virtual and in-person song circles in their area. So this is happening all over the world where people are getting trained in this call and response oral tradition of community song circles. Oh, I love it. Because when I lead women's writing retreats, I see the power of women reading their work out loud to a group of women, but I never seen that call and response singing that happens. And it was so powerful. And so as you were speaking, you mentioned about your career that you speak for a living. And so maybe catch us up to speed. You you grew up in this environment that really nurtured self-care practices and getting in tune and in touch. And so now you've been doing this for decades, kind of fill us in on the blanks of adult life and professional life and how you got to be where you are. 
Absolutely. And I really, I love being with you and being with this community in particular, because I really identify as a writer. So my, my undergrad was in journalism and creative writing, and then went on and did other graduate work. But I've been writing little stories and poems starting probably at age five. I was a little Montessori Waldorf kid. So mm-hmm. lots of time outdoors in nature, writing poetry. It's funny. I've always had such a writing to me has always felt like a really like a favorite old dear friend that mm-hmm. I can always be with and return to. So I have a really sweet relationship with writing and I've written several books, but I'm a reluctant author. You've probably <laughs> met us. Um, we get tapped on the shoulder. We don't have any desire to write books, uh, but we get tapped on the shoulder and like, you're going to write this, it's coming through you. And so yeah. that's how all of my books have, have come out. But yeah, to kind of move forward. Uh, so did that work with the, in the writing, was in the community, was a communications executive for about 15 years, working with Whole Foods Market and, and a lot of health and wellness clients, and then was doing internal coaching within companies. In fact, I used to get in trouble. I used to get called in by the VP of <laughs> HR because they're like, once again, you have coached employees right out of your department, you know? And I'm like, well, I just want them to go find their calling and do what they're passionate about. You know, and they're like, well, you did that. You've got two people leaving. <laughs> But I just, I couldn't help it. So that continued. And then I had a bunch of mentors and entrepreneurs kick me in the butt. And they're like, you're a born entrepreneur. Why are you not out there on your own? So launched my first coaching consulting company in 1999, career strategist, was really happy doing that, had Jonah, my son at 37 and was just, oh, just ate it up, loved being with him. I heard some of your stories with your little one, which were so sweet. (laughs) And when Jonah was about six months, Nadine, I felt this, so I'm I'm running my, you know, coaching consulting business. I've got this baby. I'm a first time mom and our only child. And I felt this real void, kind of this ache in my heart and ache in my body. My mother had died in her fifties. I didn't have any grandmothers. I didn't have any aunts. I loved women. I loved connecting with women. I got the power of women gathering, but I just felt this big void in my life. And so I remember sitting at a coffee shop in Austin. I had just taken Jonah to his little home care situation. And I felt this tap on my shoulder and it's like, you need to start a group. You need to start a group for mothers around how do you hold on to your essence and your creativity and everything that you hold dear while also nurturing the soul. You know, how do you do that? And the way that I roll, I'm kind of a weird one. I'm doing it again, actually, right now. When I get lost, confused, in transition, don't know where to go, I reach out to other women and I circle us up. Mm. So I actually circle people up so that we can all walk by each other's side and figure it out collectively. That's Mm. how I roll. And I've been doing that for, gosh, oh my gosh, 30 something years. So I started this first group. It was called a personal renewal group. It was specifically for mothers, this, this first group. I remember I put out a flyer in Austin way back. And again, Jonah was little and I was, this wasn't part of my business or anything. This was just from my heart, like something that I needed. I got an organization to sponsor this space. And I asked these women to meet once a month for an entire year, if you can believe it, was asking for them to commit for a year. (laughs) In 24 hours, I had like 20 women clamoring for this um, and a a waiting list because there was nothing like this. So this was in 2002, if you can imagine. So when women were looking for support mothers, there was La Leche League or mothers of preschoolers, but there was nothing 
you know, that focus just on the woman and her essence and her soul. So kind of fast forwarding, launched that personal renewal group, the women I started hearing, oh my gosh, they were sharing the exercises that we were doing, which were focused on things like slowing down and being more present, building a support system, managing your energy and saying no, reconnecting with who you are, unleashing your creativity, all of these things, really not even mommy things, really just life themes. And the women were sharing these exercises with their partner and their mother in Florida and their sister in Chicago. And so the group started to explode. I had an agent approach me about writing a book around this, kind of the the mother's guide to self-care. And we started working with Penguin and went through the whole process. And then I was sitting in a meeting, Nadine, and you'll appreciate this because I think this is the essence of maybe what you do. Um, I was sitting in a meeting with my agent and with the publisher, and they're telling me how this is going to go. And they're telling me how this book, who it's going to be for, and that these career women are going to love it. And I'm sitting there and everything in my body is clenching Mm. and going, no because I had this whole vision that this was going to like open up and have mandalas and photography and it was going to rest on a boppy and that each chapter would be like a 20 minute retreat that a mom could take if she only had 20 minutes you know she could sit with her tea or glass of wine and have this retreat so I did something really scary and I fired the agent (laughs) and walked away from a deal with Penguin and I cashed out my 401k and I opened Balanced Living Press. So this was my first book. It's been in five different editions, but this is my baby. Uh, this is the, the first edition, Jonah, who is now, and I wish, I wish I could see the picture of this. He's now just turned 20 years old. But what happened was I really, I just had a really clear vision about what I wanted this to feel like. And while he was at his little nature camp, I had five weeks one summer I sat down at this old ancient Turkish coffee table that I had. I lit all these candles. I put pictures up of my matriarchal lineage and my patriarchal lineage, like all my grandmothers, my great grandmothers. And I sat down for four hours a day and I wrote. And in five weeks, I wrote the whole book. And I was able to do that because it was just coming through me. It wasn't me. It was just coming through me. And I was also at that point, and I'm sure you know when writers get to this point, where I was so ripe with what was ready to be shared. It was like this juicy plum just dripping. Like that's how ripe I was, you know, and that's why I was able to do that in such a short period of time. Yeah. Wow. So the book became a guide. We, we, then they asked me to certify and train facilitators. The women are like, we want to do groups the way you do them. So we ended up certifying about 450 facilitators in 10 countries around the world to lead personal renewal groups based on the mother's guide to self-renewal, the first book. And then that catapulted me into, yeah, doing more speaking and really focusing on just this art and science of self-care, which I'm so passionate about. And that has become really my deepest spiritual practice. Yeah. I love that you share that story because so many people think about a deal with one of the big five publishers as the ultimate but you describe something that I've heard multiple times where sometimes it can feel like not the right fit, who, whatever publisher it is, where if it's just not a shared vision, it's not clicking and it's not working. But that's very difficult 
to walk away from an opportunity. You have to be very self-assured, very in tune with yourself enough to recognize this doesn't feel right in my body. It doesn't feel right in my heart. And on paper, it might look like a good thing, but it's just not working for me. And so I'm so happy that you shared that story because again and again, as I coach women writers and live my own life, it comes down to those moments where like there's a decision where on paper it might look good, but in your heart and soul, it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah. And so much about like, I'm sure you go through this process with, with your tribe, you know, why are you writing the book? Why are you writing this book? You know, Mm -hmm. everyone has a very different reason for writing a book. And mine was, it wasn't like I sat there and said, I want to write a book you know, or I even had, I didn't even know that we were going to have facilitators. I mean, that was not even a spark in the picture. It was that there was a creative impulse that was coming through me. This spiritual experience, this was coming through me. It wanted to be born through me. And the only thing that made me different, I mean, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this, right? In big magic. The only thing that made me different than anyone else was I just said, yes. In that moment, I said, sure. Yes, I'll do it. And then from that, came this life that honestly, I could never have imagined. I mean, I had, you know, my first business and it was successful and it was felt good and I was helping people and it was really a sweet spot, but it was pretty comfortable, kind of the warm bath, you know? And then when I said yes to this book, it just catapulted me into this whole other space doing like keynote work at a really high level that I could never, ever have imagined. Just from not saying yes to that, that impulse wanting to move through me. Yeah. Wow. And so you were leading these women's retreats, doing keynote speaking, and it sounds wonderful. And then the pandemic hits. And and so walk us through what that was like for you personally, professionally, and how you pivoted through that time. I won't, I would not say that I pivoted. (laughs) I would say I'm still down in the seaweed with everybody else. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, here, so here's an interesting story again, just, I think. The thing about me, you know, there's so many, all of us have so many different interesting aspects to us, but you know, my name Renee means reborn. And I feel like that I have a a deep allegiance to my soul. I've always felt very connected to my soul. There is often a battle that happens. I call it like in the basement where my ego and my soul are like (laughs) slugging it out in the basement. (laughs) win who's gonna win but when I am in my right space and in my truth and allegiance to self my soul is in the driver's seat so I do think sometimes it don't make sense to other people because I listen to my soul so backing up so March 13th 2020 really life-changing day um, so I'm driving Jonah my son to work he, he worked at this Thai restaurant in Austin so I was driving him to his after school job at this Thai restaurant that day, I think his, his car was in the shop or something. And we are entering this really busy intersection in Austin and a car comes out of nowhere and hits us. And then another mm. car hits us. So my child is next to me. I was screaming, putting my arm, you know, over trying to protect him. He was 17 years old. And so we were in a near fatal car accident. We were hit three times. Ugh. Um, I got a concussion. The car was totaled. 
But listen to the, the strangeness of all of this, whether you want to call it strangeness or divinity. This is divinity. This is what happened in 24 hours. So we're in a near fatal car accident. I get a concussion, which I didn't even know had happened. Both of us almost die. My son turns 18 years old the next morning. Austin goes into lockdown the next morning. And throughout the day, I am watching my inbox fill up with cancel, 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 cancel. The type of speaking that I do, you know, they book it. It's booked years out, you know, so they'll book a speaker at a conference years out. So these are big, big contractual, you know, things. So I'm watching my inbox just fill up with this and life was never the same, never the same. So, you know, we, um, we went through all that and we had lost to like every, I'm sure everyone that's listening to this has had loss from the pandemic on so many levels and so much grief, right. Is still being processed. I mean, so much grief. And someone asked me this the other day, they were saying, you know, gosh, I just, I feel for you that you had reached this pinnacle of your career where you're traveling around the globe and, you know, getting to speak at this high level and getting compensated at this high level. And then boom, you're just like, it's like obliterated in seconds, you know, and there was definitely a period of time. And there are still moments when I'm like, damn, you know, like that was really sweet. It felt really glamorous and really sweet. I'm not going to lie that it, that it wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. I taught at all the top retreat centers all over the U S got invitations from women in technology to come speak in India. I mean, all over, you know, just doing that work. And I really believe, though, that everything does happen for a reason. And I think that I'm being course corrected still. I think I was course corrected on March 13th, 2020. And I think I'm still being course corrected. And I think there's still more to be revealed, Nadine, for sure. But during that time, uh, my husband and I had been talking about my strong desire to have a deeper, more intimate connection to nature. Yeah. So I had been visiting and doing writing sabbaticals in this area that I now live in Western North Carolina, right outside of Asheville for about eight summers. So I've been coming up here in the summer doing writing sabbaticals and was deeply, I, I was like, if somebody, if like I had an umbilical cord, like somebody grabbed my umbilical <laughs> cord and like, boom, pulled me into this part of the country. It was, it felt that powerful. Wow. So it wasn't, it wasn't a leaving Austin or leaving anything. You know, my husband and I are still very much in love and together, but there was this visceral pull to this part of the world. And a lot of people have these, you'll, you'll start hearing authors and teachers talk about, you know, the Blue Ridge Mountains, the Smokies. So I'm in the oldest mountain range in the world here, the Smokies. Um, I live half a mile from the second oldest river in the world. This place is old, you know, really old. I can't even describe the energy here, but it has a very powerful effect on me. So I moved here in 2020 and my husband goes back and forth from Austin to this area. His work is still in Austin. And I started taking people to the forest and leading song circles. And I started something called wild souls, authentic movement, which I just created on my own and doing a lot of nature-based ritual. I take people to hug trees. I take them to these mother trees in the forest. These things make me very, very happy. How I'm going to continue to make a living, I'm not quite sure yet. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm still teaching and I'm still at the retreat centers, but doing 
the yeah. type of work that I was doing before is still very much paused, but I'm in a really trusting space. And so that friend that was feeling so sorry for me, I'm like, don't feel sorry for me. I feel like there is a becoming that's, that's happening right now with me. And there's an unfolding and I'm just staying with it, staying with it. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, so many things to touch on when you think about this place and, and just a year ago, we took a road trip to near where you're at. We were in black mountain and um, it is magical. So what does that nature do for you? What has your time in North Carolina been doing for your soul? Mm. You know, a lot of people don't understand that my husband and I are doing this thing called living apart together. It's like a thing, like there's podcasts and books on it. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's in Austin and I'm, I'm here in North Carolina, but he says, you are a different person. He's like, I've never seen the level of light and creativity and energy and joy and youthfulness that you exude you know, being in that, being in those trees and being in that part of, of the world. And I would say that I feel more me here than I've ever felt in my life. I do believe I've been, I've written some articles on this and done a little bit of research on it. Uh, So I just turned 56. Many, many women begin to experience, it starts sometimes in their forties, sometimes in their fifties, where they begin to identify what geography, topography, feel, ocean, mountains, desert, deeply speaks to their soul, like deeply speaks to them. And it's different for everybody. But I believe, Nadine, that there's something that happens. There's probably a book. Somebody needs to write a book on this. (laughs) But there's something that happens. It's also connected to menopause, for sure. There's something that happens when you can identify what that geography or place is for you that really helps you come home to yourself and feel really deeply connected to your essence. And then that allows you to birth and create from there. There's something very powerful about it. I would say that, you know, when I create now, whether it's a new program or whether it's a new retreat or something that I'm doing the creation process feels way more magical and way more wild than it ever did when I did that from Austin, Texas. And I attribute that largely to me feeling so deeply connected to the earth here. It's so interesting. So I'll, I'll share with you something I haven't shared with my community, which is that, so my community knows that last spring we sold our home in Illinois, and then we went on a three month road trip in our Airstream camper all around. And we were just kind of seeing national parks and we are planning to relocate somewhere warm. And so I know what you talk about when you talk about certain places calling to your soul. And I just couldn't quite put into words, though, how it is that certain places just speak to us. So in October of this past year, I went to Omega Institute and I was walking around there with a couple of people. And I was talking to one woman in particular. She's part of my writing community. And 
I said, it's just so interesting how certain places call to you and others don't, or it shifts and changes over time. And she said, oh, well, I had this session with a locational astrologist, did not know there was a thing. And she said, she looked at my natal chart and she said, this woman said that at the time and she was living in New Mexico and it's great for many people. It just wasn't feeling like her spot. And so she contacted this locational astrologist who looked at her natal chart and then they map like different lines or around the, the world. Yeah. yeah. And she was like, of course you don't feel right in New Mexico. Like you have no energy running through there. Like you have all these lines in these other places. And then she moved to upstate New York and she's like, this is where I belong. So I booked a session with this person Uh and I was like, this could be completely ridiculous, but I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to take a chance. And it was uncanny uncanny okay so i'm dying to hear where (laughs) (laughs) so what was first of all very strange was that on these lines are multiple lines that kind of move up through the map and so it's not just like there's one place for everyone but there are these lines where the energy is strongest and so these lines move through the places that I have been to where I feel deeply pulled. I have deep, deep pull in Central America and I've spent time in El Salvador, Guatemala. I love going, when I go to Mexico, I love going to San Miguel there and it's like lines everywhere through Central America. There's one right near Esalen. (laughs) There's, it's like warm. It's a lot of like warm weather places, one through Spain, one through Greece, but it's a lot of this like warm weather area. And so like, this was of no surprise to the woman, the astrologist I was talking about. She's like, of course you're drawn to warm weather places. Like, yeah, she's like, you have no, no lines in these other, but anyways, I thought it would just be like a moment of woo woo. And Uh I had no investment in terms of my energy. I was just like, we'll see, but I find in my digression here, I find that we are pulled to certain places and it might feel unexplainable, but it is a real and true thing. And many of the women I coach have that very same feeling. They just feel, I love your description, the umbilical cord. Yeah. Onto it. So, so now you're in North Carolina and you're leading these circles and retreats still And you have a a few retreats coming up too. And I'd love for you to talk about them so that if anyone wants to experience the magic that is you, they can be with you. Yes. And I'm also happy to share with you, you know, I'm just so passionate about women taking retreats. Honestly, I'm so passionate about it. I mean, whether they do a personal retreat, you know, or whether they do a guided retreat. And I actually have a post I'd be happy to share with you where I guide people through like really choosing, you know, am I a mountain person or an ocean person? Do I want to be guided? Do I want to be alone? It's almost like a discernment process for choosing a retreat because I know we do retreats, but there's so many people that have never taken a retreat before, you know? And so I am a retreat evangelist. I'm just, I'm really big on this whole idea from stillness comes discernment. Yeah. And so my friends tease me and make fun of me, but they're like, there she goes. She's just pausing. She's like constantly pausing. 
but I just, I really want to use my energy and my gifts well. And I find that I have to pause a lot in order to make sure that I'm in alignment. Um, so I'm happy to share that if, if your listeners are kind of discerning and thinking about taking a retreat, but yes, I am really happy and blessed to teach at some really cool places. I've got a retreat coming up May 6th through 8th at the Art of Living Retreat Center, which is in Boone, North Carolina, which is stunning. So this is in the Blue Ridge Mountains and you can fly into Asheville or Charlotte and a lot more information on that on my website. And then I also teach at Kripalu, which is very near to my near and dear to my heart. I've been teaching there about 15 years and I'll be there October 14th through 16th. And that's in the Massachusetts Berkshire Mountains. And then I have a lot of just interesting, cool things happening that are listed on, on the calendar on my website. And we always offer scholarship spots, whether it's virtual retreat or in-person. So we always, I, I just want people to take retreats. I think every woman should take retreats like regularly, you know, and they don't have to be these super fancy, expensive retreats. You know, it can be a retreat on your own. It can be a retreat that you organize, you know, hire a yoga teacher and you go out into the woods with a group of friends. It doesn't have to be this insanely expensive, complicated thing, but it's sacred and it's intentional. And it's a date with what I call your wise self. That's really mm-hmm. the purpose of taking a retreat and from how I'm oriented. Yeah. And you practice what you preach. What I appreciated so much about you. I've talked about this with other women on the podcast who lead retreat as well, is that it's really impressive to me when retreat leaders conserve their energy, they give their energy, but they know how to conserve their energy as well. And they know how to care for themselves while caring for others. So I'm always impressed as a facilitator myself, when I see other facilitators who care for themselves while they're caring for other people. And so I was impressed that I think it was maybe the, our second day together, we had a, an afternoon break and you said, okay, check in with yourself. What do you need? How do you feel? What do you need? You kept on asking this. How do you feel? What do you need? And then when we came back to circle, you said, oh, I had a nice bath and I had a nap and we need more women in the world like this who prioritize time for themselves without guilt, (laughs) right? Who give themselves permission. Absolutely. Well, and it's, you know, I teach self-care and I define self-care as the art of attuning and responding to your needs and desires moment to moment. And as an entrepreneur, you know, this took me years to get Nadine. I don't even think I got this till I was later in my forties, but I really got it one day that as someone who loves to play big and create, we're constantly creating from our current state of being, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. So self-care is really cultivating our desired state of being. So if I want to show up and be real and authentic and present and feel just in a really delicious space when I'm facilitating a retreat. I sure as hell better be taking care of myself in a really deep way, you know? Mm -hmm. So again, just so passionate about self-care, but for those that are self-employed and find that they're struggling with self-care, maybe that a little ding is going off for you when you hear that, you know, we're constantly creating, leading, writing, teaching from our current state of being. So what are you doing to create your desired state of being? Mm, I love that. I think that's a perfect place to end is thinking about that. 
I think that when we love and we create from a very fulfilled place, it has such an important ripple effect on everyone else around us. I'm so, so glad you came on today. You are such a joy to talk to, but also you embody the work that you teach. Even during this podcast, you were taking moments of pause to answer the question from a discerned place and a clear place. So I've so loved talking to you and I really appreciate you coming on today. Likewise, my joy. Thank you. Isn't Renee great? You'll definitely want to check her out at ReneeTrudeau.com. I'll put all of the links and everything in the show notes. But if you love this episode, let us know by taking a screenshot and sharing it on Instagram and tagging us. Renee is at ReneeTrudeau underscore. I'm at Nadine Kenny Johnstone on Instagram. That's where I share a lot of my news about upcoming retreats like the one I'm leading in August for women writers in Camden, Maine. So I'd love to um, see you on there. You can message me and say hello, but just let us know what impacted you from the episode and maybe share with a friend who needs a reminder that they are worthy and deserving of self-care and retreat time. You'll definitely want to check out Renee's retreats that are coming up in the future. You will not be disappointed. You'll have such a wonderful time. So that's your homework for this week, my friends. Think about how you can make some time for retreat, whether it's a morning where you take yourself out to breakfast and you bring a journal, or you plan a few days for a formal women's retreat somewhere fun and exciting. I also want to thank a really impactful, powerful woman. That's my producer, Michelle Rado. And finally, everyone, please remember that every heart has a story and every story has a heart. See you next week. <laughs>